Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of Fatal Attraction, starring Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, and Ann Archer. Directed by Adrian Lin, released in 1987 on a budget of $14 million, grossed over $320 million worldwide. Now, this, uh, wow. this, yeah, the, the movie whose title became synonymous with the, the torrid love affair turned into murderous obsession. Um, I actually have a good story about seeing this uh, when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. I was way too young. I think I was like 11 when this came out. But my parents saw this, and they decided that this was a good way to teach me and my older brother about the dangers of adultery. So when it came out on home video, they rented it, and they, they made us like leave the room you know, during the the two really graphic sex scenes but the rest of the time they made us watch this and they're like see see you gotta watch who you get involved with because you know the crazies are out there or whatever which is you know my parents had some interesting parenting choices for sure but uh um i it made an impression <laughs> no doubt about that but i've seen this well, movie you, you, you saw jurassic park when your parents told you, you need the washes for the horrors of cloning right <laughs> yeah i was old enough at that point i could make my own choices for for entertainment but yeah I, I remember seeing this it made it made an impression for sure and then uh I don't know, you know, I, I, it stuck with me for a long time. A little behind the scenes, I actually wrote the plot summary that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Before I even rewatched it this time, I just remember it that well. This movie definitely leaves an impression. And I had remembered that it was nominated for a lot of awards. Um, and it was nominated for a slate of Academy Awards, lost every one of them, uh, to either The Last Emperor or Moonstruck. Neither film I have seen. I've never seen The Last Emperor nor Moonstruck. So, um, I guess we could talk about that some other time, but, uh, yeah, surprisingly, this one did not, uh, did not win a lot of awards, but it was a massive hit as the uh, box office shows. That's amazing. I- I've heard of this movie before. This is actually the first time I've watched it. Um, and just actually going through this movie, I can't believe how much of this has actually been like kind of, it's part of pop culture in a lot of ways. Um, and just kind of watching this, I'm like, that's where they got that from. Uh, funny enough, I was, before we even started recording, I was telling you, I was watching some family guy reruns the other day. And one of them I was watching yesterday was where, uh, it was the fatal attraction episode where Meg, uh, becomes dangerously obsessed with, uh, brian the dog <laughs> and there's actually a scene where she has his collar on and she's spinning like the uh the tags on it and turning the lights on and off and on and off as she's listening yeah. to some like opera opera style music so i'm watching this i'm like that's where they got that from and like so much of that episode is actually this episode this movie i mean even like the uh part of you and me and stuff. Right, right. I mean, yeah, it, it is a part of popular culture. I think you're you're dead on it. And a lot of it is Glenn Close's performance. And I mean we could talk about about her and, and everybody here. But you know, the thing is is you've got actors here who were well known at the time. I Ann Archer I think was probably the least known of the three at the time, but she had been around for a while. Glenn Close of course had done a lot of things for a number of years. Dangerous liaisons was a massive hit and other stuff. Of course Michael Douglas it was, you know, of course cut 
Kirk Douglas's son. But beyond that, he had been a producer for a number of years and then had been a pretty staple leading man throughout the 80s. When I mean, he's done Romancing the Stone and all of that kind of stuff. He actually won an Academy Award for Wall Street, which came out the same year as this. So two big roles for him in the same year. Um, and, I, you know, he's it, it was a good action. I think the thing about dramas like this, the ones that last and become part of popular culture are, are built on two things that that work they they have to have scripts that are really smart and intelligent and move well and they have to have actors that can deliver it and make it believable um and yeah. so, and you know and, th- and that's that's what separates good ones from becoming you know lifetime movies of the week <laughs> and things like that and, and which seem to be so cliched and stuff but in you know 1987 88 when 1987 this came out i mean the torrid love affair had been in cinema for 40, 50 years at that point. That wasn't anything yeah, new. Yeah, I think ever since the beginning of cinema or any type of, you know, drama. People putting I mean, on any type of drama or yeah. even plays. I mean, you look at something even like William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a staple of any type of entertainment is watching relationships, good and bad, dissolve or grow or whatever. I mean, it's part of what we are as a species. But I got to ask too, I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit off air and Michael Douglas, I mean, I guess I just don't see it. I, I, I think I, it's, I, it, I, I, I see like, you know, someone like Richard Gere, I can see, I'm like, I can see how women think this guy's like ruggedly attractive and stuff. I look at Michael Douglas and I'm thinking, I'm like, he looks like someone you would go buy a Nissan from at a used car dealership. He's just, I, I, I don't get what him being this like leaning, leading man in the eighties. Maybe it's just the way people looked back then. I don't know, but it just seems like it, it is like, part like, of the people time becoming obsessed with him. It's like, Okay, he's rich in this movie, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't get it. And same with like Glenn Close. I'm I'm watching this and I'm like, man, this would have been so much more, I'm not going to say believable, but I would have been maybe a little bit more understanding of his affair with her for a day or two if it would have been someone like Sharon Stone, who, you know, if you've ever seen Casino, can pull this off without a hitch. Well, we'll we'll talk about Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas next time. We do Basic Instinct, so we we can talk about that. I don't think movies had gone to that exactly at this point with the steamy thriller necessarily, and and I credit a lot of that with Adrian Lynn and the way that the production put this together is that they didn't want the kind of stars that just made your mouth drop open uh, kind of people. Michael Douglas worked in so many ways because he could play the sophisticated. Um, the, the city, slick, uh, you know, wealthy, but still every man kind of thing. I mean, Gordon Gecko is completely above everybody's league, right? In Wall Street. But there's certain mm-hmm. scenes in there when he really plays it down and you see that he's just a smart guy that found an angle. Michael Douglas is always one of those guys that comes across as the guy that just finds he's smart. He's smarter than he is tougher. You know, if you've seen Romancing the Stone, which is like a romance novel, Indiana Jones uh, movie with Kathleen Turner. And it's hilarious, by the way. It's a, it's a good little romp from the eighties. He's, you know, he's not necessarily like this, you know, you know, tough uh, warrior, you know, adventurer guy. He's just smart and he's just slick. And I think that's what Michael Douglas represents as somebody who's who can talk his way out of anything. And I, I mean, that character, the character he plays, Dan Gallagher's a lawyer. He talks his way in and out of almost anything. And you, you see that they wanted somebody that could pull that off. And I think Douglas is great for that. As far as the Glenn Close casting, I think they went opposite of type. And even she has said that she had never been cast as the sexy role that was not her she doesn't consider herself that it's not you know how she comes off but they cast her in that because she could 
could do seduction the way that they wanted uh, this person to be able to do. The kind of person that could change their look just by the way her hair is done, her face, her eyes. Her eyes are incredibly emotive. And she understood the psychology of the character more than anything else. And Archer's gorgeous. So Yeah, her, that, I mean, I think that's kind of like my whole yeah. thing is like, you got a pretty good family life here and your wife is absolutely you know, gorgeous and stuff, especially after having two kids. And it's like, and then there's Glenn and close. I don't know. I, I, I just based on my experience, if you ever see anybody with that haircut that Glenn close is wearing in this movie, you stay away. It, it's it's it, never a good sign. Yeah. I think she ruined that. The, the big frizzy cut for, for everyone, uh, for sure. I, we should get into this though, into a plot summary, I guess, before we, we go any further. So, uh, let me let me go through this real quick. Dan Gallagher has a great life, like we've said. He's on the rise in his New York law firm. He's happily married to his wife, Beth, has a loving daughter. But the temptation of a fling with a sultry book editor named Alex is too much for him to pass. So he considers it a simple passing fancy, but for Alex, everything changes. Jilted by Dan, she becomes unstable, escalating from aggressive pursuit to obsessive stalking. Dan realizes his main problem is not all just hiding his affair, but keeping Alex from himself or his family. He finally confesses to his wife that, and she kicks him out of the house. And Alex picks up the daughter from school and Beth in a panic to find her has a car crash where she survives, but is injured. And Beth and Dan reconcile and he goes to confront Alex at her apartment. And after a violent struggle where he nearly strangles her to death, he leaves her with a threat. Now, over the edge, Alex sneaks into the Gallagher's country home and attempts to attack Beth in the bathroom. Dan intervenes, trades blows with Alex until Beth finally shoots her, ending the nightmare once and for all. That's kind of the surface plot summary for anybody that hasn't seen it, like you. I, I do think this is an, an age thing. I think your generation replaced Fatal Attraction with several other things. The hand that Rocks the Cradle, Basic Instinct, you know, lots of other stuff like that. I think my generation, this was our torrid love affair gone wrong movie, as, as we've talked about. And I think we got to start it with the way that all of this sets up. Um, and I give Adrian Lynn, the director here, a lot of credit for knowing how to let a drama work by staying out of the way. I mean, this was written as a stage play initially and has actually been produced as one now. In, in years, it was, it was actually another script for a short film that got turned into a play and then they bought it up and made a movie out of it. And I think this movie works a lot like a play. I mean, the sets are very still. The, the scenery is just sort of there as a place for three walls for the actors to work in. And I like how sort of normal the Gallagher's life looks in comparison to what maybe you expect, you know, they're, they're in New York, you're panning across, you know, the, the skyscape there, the famous 80, I think every eighties movie had a shot in New York at it. I swear. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, they all, they all did, whether it was in, in New York or not, but they did. And you know, you've got Gallagher working on his couch and his you know shirt and underwear, his wife's getting dressed for whatever they're doing that night. And the kids over there watching, you can't do that on television, which is also a, a grand memory of my childhood. Um, <laughs> this is the slime and I don't know. But I, I like how normal everything sets up. And they really set up for you that he's kind of got it all. I mean, everything that they go through here, this first little bit, and then getting ready to go to the party that they go to, that he's really got a good thing going. Oh, he definitely does. And I think maybe that's kind of why this beginning stuff really doesn't work for me as well, because it's 
he has a really, really good life. It's not like they're showing that he's got some issues with his wife that maybe they've grown apart over the years or he's become so career focused and she's not on board with that. And it's kind of like a some type of divide between them. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're a pretty good couple and between like his lifestyle and the fact that, you know, they're living in the, one of the most expensive places in the world you can live in and are living very well there that when we start actually getting into him and Glenn Close's character, that it's, to me, it's just like he came off almost as just as bad as um, really the worst character in the first, you know, first act of this movie where you just kind of like, dude, you, you kind of deserving. I mean, you can, yeah. you know, this movie's going to go downhill as far as the events that are going to happen. And it's kind of like, you're asking for it. And so, I mean, is that kind of how you, when you watch it, is that how kind of how you took it or was it more understandable on your part? No, I think that's exactly how we're supposed to take it. It's also one of the things that, that I've always sort of looked at this movie is does Dan get away with too much, you know? And I think what we're to watch is kind of the, the fall and, you know, somewhat rebirth of Dan Gallagher here as a person is that he's, he certainly got everything you could possibly want. He's got a great job. He's got a great career. Certainly it takes up a lot of his time. He's still working at home, you know, obsessed lawyer, you know, bit in there, but a lot of them do, but you know, he seems to balance it. Well, I mean, he's got a relationship with his kid and his wife seems to be totally on board with this. I mean, she's, she's fine with this life that they have. And when they go to the party, which is, I mean, he, He's a, like a corporate style attorney. We should say he's not a criminal attorney. I mean, he, he does like litigation for contracts and things along those lines. And one of his big clients is a book publisher and they're going to some, I, I, I don't forget what it's like samurai self-help book, you know, publishing party. I don't, I've never been to a publishing party. Nick, maybe they're this you know, rocking. This seemed like pretty, I thought this would be low key, you know, like Brie and. <laughs> Uh, affairs but apparently they're not <laughs> and so i mean they, they go to this big party or whatever and you get this sense that like man this guy is like moving up in the world and he's going places and but he's not like young and hungry he's he's middle-aged i mean i think they're all supposed to be playing like mid to late 30s here or whatever all these actors are 40 or above you know and and they i and i don't know that they all don't look it either i mean i don't i it's kind of funny to look at them but they're not yuppies necessarily but they're kind of playing that that role still and it's different for me to watch michael douglas play this because he's always plays the guy who's like the boss or the in control guy and at this point like he's still reporting to people like he's got people above him and you see him kind of pander to him i think herman munster makes a you know an appearance later as the boss and you know things like that and i, I like seeing that in him but I, I do think it gives you this this real reason to not like him. I think the the funny thing is, and Glenn Close has always said she never considered her character the villain in the show, and I agree with her. I think Dan's the villain because he's an asshole for everything that he does in this movie. I mean, he is he's a real jerk for two thirds of it, and it's hard to get on board with him and watch him. And that was one of the things that was a major criticism of it when it came out was that this guy is a complete idiot you know to do the things that he does and uh i mean you know how does he get turned away by her when we first meet glenn close man that look that they they gave her with the hair all frizzed out and like pulled back and it's like her i don't know it's like her head is coming through her hair or something it's really weird and it just looks you know, he said they're talking with his, his buddy, uh, Stuart Pankin, uh, the actor and another you know, lawyer and they're, 
chit-chatting and he like gives her a look like hello hubba hubba and i'm like yeah and the look she gives him is like please you know <laughs> and i'm like oh I, and I don't know i maybe that was something of the 80s new york woman i wasn't really again i was like 11 so i was barely paying attention to that kind of thing i didn't get it either i've never understood what he would see in her versus ann archer but maybe that's the the idea is that he sees something that's so totally opposite of what she is, that that's why he is intrigued by her. And they, you know, I'm talking about that first little meeting they have when he's at the bar getting a drink and she's sitting there smoking a cigarette and they're just kind of talking about, I hate it when guys come on to me like that, et cetera. Yes. That's the one thing in this movie that I just, I had a real hard time grasping onto. It was just like, you know, as we discussed earlier, just Glenn close in this, like, you know, this some type, she has some type of seduction aspect about her that like men can't, you know, you know, get away from. And I'm just thinking, like I said, it would have been so much better if it would have been someone who'd look like Sharon Stone did in the late eighties, or even if they, you know, casted someone who's a little bit more exotic where it was like, he's not used to being around this, where it was something where he just got totally pulled in where I'm seeing her and I'm like, man, she looks like a first grade teacher. You know, it's like, it's <laughs> well, like, I, that's I, I a scary looking first grade teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. she, she, I mean, she's a good actress. She's a probably a very, very nice woman, but she just kind of comes off like, man, she, she play a really good, like witch in like the Salem witch trials. You know, she does come off kind of, kind of witchy. Like she is sort of luring him in that way. Maybe that's what it's supposed to be is that she's the forbidden fruit or something, but whatever it is, something about that is memorable with him because the next day, and this is kind of what happens, his wife and kid go away for the weekend, going to visit her family in the countryside of New York, uh, which this is a funny thing to mention too, because I've driven through the state of New York before. And if you think of New York as New York city, you really like New York is a big country. Like it's a lot of farmland and beautiful place to go and, and check out. Not in the winter necessarily, but unless you're just into mounds of snow, but it's, you know, beautiful place. She gets, she's going to the country for the weekend to see her folks and they're looking at a house and all this kind of stuff. And he stays behind and he's got to go to a meeting and it, all he's doing is to make sure that this book that they're going to uh, publish that's about somebody having an affair with a politician that, you know, that they can back it up in court to like, yeah, there's proof that the author, you know, isn't basing it on Senator whoever. And she's the um, agent in, in, in between, you know, for the, the author and the thing and the way she carries herself in that room. She, you know, everybody else looks like they're, you know, halfway hung over and just sort of hanging around on a Saturday in the office. Right. And she walks in and she looks, she just left the club, you know, and she's, you know, got her hair all done and she's talking real tough and she's laying it on him thick at that point too. You know, I mean, he's eating something, gets a little bit over on his face and she's like, you know, pointing at him and doing cute. And I think it's that conversation they have at dinner when it's raining and they can't get a cab. You know, they're sitting in that restaurant where she really reels him in because you, you see what she basically says to him is, you know, she asks him, can you be discreet? And the whole bit is like, you, you want to do this? Because I'm, I'm not going to tell, you know, like she's totally like a, a spider luring him in her web. And I think that's how. You know, they play it, and I think that's how Glenn Close plays it, too, is that she can't believe she's getting a guy like this either. Because I think Dan is way better class than most of the dudes she probably hooks up with. Yeah, definitely. At, at this point, um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the movie Big, but it's yeah, really yeah. kind of reminding me of the uh, the main female. Her her name's escaping me at this moment. But Elizabeth like, Perkins, kind of like yeah. The way she is in that movie where it seems like she is kind of a guy hopper, where she's doing, you know, 
she's she's single for a reason because she knows that it's going to further her career that it's going to be where she can you know just kind of latch on to whoever's going to help her out at that moment and i think that that's how it's kind of coming off where it's like you know she's talking about being discreet and stuff that it's like well, she's done this before and right. she knows that it's, you know, no strings attached that she's going to do this and hopefully, you know, she's going to have fun. And then she's also going to be able to basically help out her job in a way. Cause you know, if you're working with someone and you know, she's able to do that, you know, there's not going to be much, you know, the, the relationship or what she's going to try to get out of it is going to be much more easier when something like that happens. Or at least that's how I kind of, how I see it and how I feel like her intentions are is that she's trying to, basically you know mosey you know, try to get a little bit closer into this guy's life so business is a little bit easier i mean being in sales being that my position it's like it's so much easier to actually do business with people that you know on a personal level as right. opposed to someone that you first meet at the first time i mean that's why when you're in sales it's always like you know you never start off with what you're there to sell it's always like you try to get to know the person you try to get to know who their wife is or who their kids are or what kind of sports teams that they're in or where they you know approximately live so that way you can kind of you know, break the ice with them and try to be able to get to know them a little bit easier because then when you're doing business a little bit later and you're coming down to numbers and everything like that, it's much more easier to talk to someone as opposed to just talking with them at the beginning of that. So that's how I kind of saw her as like, well, she's kind of a businesswoman who understands the glass ceiling, you know, area that she's in and that this is her way of breaking through it. No, I think, that yeah, I think she's you're going to exactly use her right. body. She's going to use her sexuality and she's going to be able to basically break through this guy and be able to make any type of business relationship that they have pretty easy from that point on. So that's how I kind of took it at first. But I, as you know, obviously as this kind of starts going on, as you realize that maybe, you know, I'm going to ask you this, has she done this before? Do you think that she is kind of one that maybe sleeps around a little bit or was this the first time? Because my question is, is like, was this like an involving thing with her where maybe she's kind of, was going from guy to guy and the older that she gets the more she realizes that you know maybe there is something to being in a relationship and she's now at that point where she really wants it or is this like her first time doing this and this is when the crazy comes out i do not take her as the kind of woman that is sleeping her way up i think this is a good opportunity for her again because i do think this is the kind of guy that is way classier than what she normally can attract you know i mean we see later like she takes him to a club and it's like seedy awful place you know it's not it's not the kind of place dan gallagher hangs out you know so she's probably not attracting these kind of dudes she's you know older now at this point and so most of the men are are married or moved on and, and she says something later about you know married guys you know always leave or what something like that she's had affairs before i i do agree with that but i think the thing that this, that cannot be lost on this is that this woman is mentally unstable and and glenn close did a lot of research on people that were psychotics and you know all sorts of mental disorders and talk to therapists and stuff and say, you know, to really get the character arc of this person down. And they all, you know, agreed with her and told her that, yeah, this would be something that an obsessive person that was damaged essentially would go through is then she finally finds this guy. She thinks this just like him, this is going to be a quick turn, but something's different. And I don't know, you know, and you know, they, they go through the, the love scenes are, which are really at this point, they're, Parodied. I mean, they have sex in the sink with the water running. They have sex in an elevator and, you 
know, all kinds of, yeah. You know, I mean, you've seen it done a million times at this point, but at the time, I could just was, see people trying to like reenact this and like, oh God, their lives yeah. and just being like, this, this, this doesn't work. I, I, I think, <laughs> I think there are a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there's a, there are a couple of good joke uh, videos. I was college humor is one of them where they do like you sex in the movies. If you tried it in real life and it's all like, no, that, ow, that hurts. Stop doing that. You know, and, and that's how most of that kind of stuff works. <laughs> but, but beyond that, I think something in the midst of this changes for both of them. One, Dan realizes and the thing that he's attracted to is that and why he stays around for the next one round of it is that she is so different and wild compared to his normal life. And not that he's got a bad life, but that's that's a real change. I mean, you know, you don't find women that'll just you know blow you on an elevator every day, and so he's he's into that for, for the at least not in our part of the country. Jay. Not no no, I don't think in any part of the country. They'd rather take you to church. I just don't. Well, <laughs> I think they'd rather take you to the mall or something. But I mean, it, we live in different times. But even in the eighties, I just I mean that was so it seems so out of bounds for this kind of you know buttoned up conservative guy, right? Alex P. Keaton, you know, basically. I mean, we were. Right in the midst of the Reagan era, right now. Right. So I mean, like, yeah, we're know, in the Reagan age. Like a little bit more seedy. Yeah, this is, is a very, bit more risque. Yeah, I mean, we've had a president that's you know doing this and yeah, we got now, a president so. that at this time is you know drinking a warm glass of milk at seven thirty and turning in by seven forty five. Yeah, yeah, Reagan, Reagan's done at this point. Yeah, so I mean, we're in the middle of all of that. It's a different time and era, but th- that's what brings him in. And I think Alex really falls for him because what he represents to her is way more stability than she even has in her own life. I mean, look at her apartment. When we think about it, it's stark. Everything's white. The sheets are white. The walls are white. Everything is like whitewashed so that it can look really clean. But what you really notice about it is how barren it is. I mean, the kitchen has very little in it. There's a very small little table for two. You know, next to a window, there's a an exercise bike by a bed, which is on the floor, basically. And then a very small bathroom. It's a small place. It's not, you know, and it's not that she's, you know, hurting for money necessarily or whatever. She apparently does really well at what she does. But it's a very, like, barren place. There's nothing there that she couldn't just drop and leave and go somewhere else. So it's it's almost like a woman who's looking for something so much better than what she has so she can go and be a part of it. Because you contrast that with, like, the, where the Gallagher's live. Everything is colorful. Like, they have a lot of stuff. And, and it's also kind of cluttered, like a family's house is. You know, it's there's stuff all over the place. You know, they've got stuff everywhere, but it looks really nice, and it's colorful, and it's pretty. And then Alex's place is really just stark. There's nothing there. And that, to me, says a lot about the characters as much as anything and what yeah, they say. But, and, and, I think, and, I, and, I, yeah. and I think, too, that the, the white motif that they're going on there is – very much how you vision vision almost like a psychiatric ward exactly you know, the white yes. walls the white everything is just you know very sterile very there's and, not any personality there because it it can't be it's got to be a very um like i said just a very sterile open environment and i think that's kind of what they're trying to go for here is when you look at like his life as you said you know it's, you know kind of cluttered but still kind of nice i mean that that is his, his life he has a cluttered nice life where she where you can tell is a very sterile style life and i think that's kind of also the thing is like you know she's looking for some type of color in her life in a way that she wants to change who she is and i think just even with these two getting together is that they're both seeing something that's different yeah where you know he's seeing this you know person who is you know different than what his wife is and kind of you know exotic in a different type of way 
and where she's seeing someone where it's like, you know, he's, he's got his stuff together in a way, and he's got this life that I want. And I think as this affair goes on, you know, it just goes on for two days. And I think it's just, he quickly realizes that, yeah, you know, this isn't anything I really want, you know, it's kind of nice to, you know, not window shop and maybe going in and try on a few things. Where I think that's exactly she, what he's doing. He's taking advantage yeah. of the fact that his wife and kid are gone for the weekend. And this, this comes out and he's getting ready to leave on Sunday. I guess it is to go, to go back to his place or whatever. And she like loses her mind at him. I mean, she, you know, kicks him and curses at him and he's like okay you know and so he's like well that was weird and then the the coup de grace of that is when she's like i'm sorry let's be friends or whatever he's like oh it's okay you know and she's like crying he's like oh baby it's all right and i'm like man you're such a such a-hole you know i'm like man, you really want dan gallagher to like get shanked at that point right here's my here's my advice to him at this point it's mm -hmm. like if you don't want it to go on anymore make sure you like fart a lot do a lot of really gross things and then she's gonna want you out of there so. yeah well clearly he he was maybe thinking this could be my piece on the side or something like that i don't know but she starts touching me. he's like why are your hands all wet and what she realizes she has cut her wrist now she hasn't cut her wrist like in the serious i'm ready to she's into the t you know the straight up the the arm uh, but she's done it in the like the suicide it's the, uh, cry for tension <laughs> well I, I guess so yeah i mean yeah and and it is i mean you talk about something that changes the atmosphere of the movie almost immediately because up to this point this has been a steamy drama all right and you're like man this guy is such an a-hole to do this to his wife and kid all this stuff. and then you see this and you're like holy cow this is a horror movie and the music plays like that. The director pans it that way. I mean, this comes off like a Shakespeare, uh, not Shakespeare, like a, uh, uh, this comes off like a Hitchcock moment. You know, well, you know, you know what this is turned off as right now is Frankenstein, is that he's now created Frankenstein's monster. Oh, wow. I hadn't and, thought of it like that. Yeah. And I mean, you really look at like how that story's based about as far as, you know, the guy's doing some pretty unethical things. I mean, yeah. the guy, he's doing some unethically unmoral things right now. And he's created this monster, and it's now going to be a part of his life. That yeah, I don't even think he realizes how big the monster is at this point. Yeah, and I think it's just going to be something where now it's going to be in. I mean, you, you really look at you know how Frankenstein and a lot of those plot points. It's very similar to this movie in a way. It, you know, I thought about it like that. That's a, that's an excellent analogy, but yeah, that's a that's a good call because that's exactly how this goes. I mean, you're right. I mean, he, he, he tends to her wounds or whatever. And, but he doesn't take her to the doctor. And I'm like, see, he's so worried about getting caught. Like he don't want anything weird to happen. So he makes sure she's okay. I'm like, what do he do? Super glue her wrists back together or something? I don't, I don't know, but I, apparently it works it, good it, on cuts. I, I, know I that for a fact, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the dude just realized, well, she didn't get a vein or anything. I don't know. But anyway, he, you know, he gets her all taped and bandaged up or whatever and calms her down. And he's like, okay, you know, can you, uh, can you, you know, stay you know are you gonna go to the doctor you're gonna be okay okay i'll talk to you later so he leaves and what is what has helped this is that his wife has called on sunday and said hey i'm staying an extra day and he's like okay cool so he's taking the family dog over there even and i'm like man the dog would totally rat you out you know if it could talk you'd be glad you don't have one of those dogs that can talk you know or whatever because that dog would be like 
You know, so he's got to be wondering where am I? So you're saying good thing this dog's not Brian Griffin. You know, he looks like Brian Griffin. Though that's the funny thing. But uh, yeah, Brian Brian Griffin is a lab, and you know, I think it's like like a looks like a lab golden retriever mix. Yeah, something like that. So, but anyway, he's definitely loyal to owner who feeds him spaghetti. By the way, that that ended badly later that day for people who don't have dogs and don't realize what feeding them stuff like that does but anyway he he gets to go back to his life now at this point and the thing is is that well you know the daughter of course is you know had a good time with the grandparents and she she loves rabbits now because as small children do they they go from animal to animal or whatever and they catch on to the most impractical animals (laughs) exactly right and that is a very impractical pet a pony a rabbit a ferret it's like just stick to the cat, the dog, or a fish. <laughs> but this is where we start to see the downturn of, of Alex. And there's something that happens in that day with them on Sunday that's important because it reveals itself later. Dan and her are running along and they're playing with the dog and he acts like he has a heart attack and drops, you know. And so she runs over there and is like, are you okay? You know, and I think like that's a, a couple's thing. Like you just act all of a sudden like you're not there and see what the other person does just to freak them out. Well, she like got, gets like seriously pissed at him. Like my father died of a heart attack, you asshole. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, and he has to play all cool. And then she's like, whatever, you know, he's still alive. Only to find out later, no, he actually did die of a heart attack. And it, you know, it apparently happened when she was young. And so that's part of her mental scarring and things like that. And you start to see her begin to unravel a little bit because for her, this is something that is she's latching on to him. She likes having dinner with him. They listen to Madame Butterfly, the opera, and they're just into this and they're connecting on so many different levels. But he's just like, eh, you know, whatever. I mean, this is more than just, you know, a hooker, I guess, but it's uh, a thing. And you asked me earlier, is this the first time she's done this? Well, do you think this is the first time he's done this? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I'd like to think so. But I guess that's an unanswered question and something that you're going to probably bring in your own life experience into this to maybe understand if he has or not. I like to think it is. I like yeah. to think that, you know, as we discussed that, you know, these guys are supposed to be kind of in their late 30s and that this is the first time I think we're, you know, in his career where he's starting to become a little bit more successful. Where I think before he was probably just kind of, you know, he, he's successful in a way that they were comfortable. But I think this is the first time where we're starting to really take it off. So I think in a way in his psychology where maybe he's seeing, you know, he's probably been around many lawyers who have had women on the side who have had these other like second lives and stuff because they can afford to do that. And I think in a way, maybe he's just trying to dabble in that for a little bit. It was just, you know, a lot of circumstances kind of can, you know, combining at once. So I, I like to think it is his first time. I think so too, but I think he's thought about it. I, I kind of feel like Dan has played this in his mind a lot of times and just fantasize, maybe not about her necessarily, but just in general. And and now he's trying to sort of play through it. And for the most part, uh, up until the part where she, you know, feigns like well, she's going to kill herself or something like that, and you know, and has lost her mind at him in front of him like that. I think he, it's gone about like his fantasy would go is that he, you know, we had a good time. See you later. See you around, you know, the office, whatever. Maybe we'll hook up again. You know, he's leaving it open, but he's also making it pretty clear. I got to go back home. I got to go back to my life. No, especially later when the stalking starts going on where I, I think he's probably one of these guys who's like, you know, Hey, I'm able to, 
you know, like you see like your friends going out and drinking and, you know, and they drive, they always get home, you know, safe. But the one time that you do it, you get pulled over. And I think exactly. that's how, what's going on now is where he's probably seen a lot of the stuff going on and been, you know, can indirectly been a part of it. But I think in a way that it's like his first time doing it and he made the biggest mistake he could. Uh, yeah. I mean, he picked the worst thing out of the gate. And I think that's the, again, why my parents showed this to us is that you'd be very, you have to be very, very careful as to who you're with and all this kind of, and I think even my mom may have made some point about the end. Like you gotta even be careful who you marry. See, she shot that woman. You never know. And I'm like, Holy cow. I don't think that was the lesson. This movie. But well, anyway. let's be honest. I mean, every, so, I think every guy in a way has always been like, eh, you know, be kind of fun to hook up with the one that's a little, little crazy. Well, I, I think <laughs> every think guy, every stage. guy has dated the girl that was just a little on the edge. Maybe you know. Let's just let's be gentle here and say that. And you did because when it was good, it was good, right? But it was exciting. It, yeah, but when it got bad, it got. It's like it's why you go on a roller coaster. It's why you watch a horror movie, a good one at least, right? I mean, it's because you want that scare, that excitement. Like you say, and I think that's exactly right. I think Dan's very happy in his life. He's very, very pleased, but he just wanted a little excitement and he got that. But now that excitement keeps coming back to him and keeps calling him and keeps calling him and showing up at his office and won't leave him alone. And he can't get rid of her. Like he, he's, you know, tried nice. He's tried being kind of stern. And, he, and we even see one time on the phone, he's like, look, I'm sorry if I misled you in any way, but this cannot go on anymore. Thank you. See, and I think that I think that right there is a telling sign that this is his first time. Yeah. Because he doesn't know what to do. And you have to imagine that a guy who's probably had a few different affairs throughout his career is that he would have a better understanding of how to deal with someone who's a little bit more clingy. Because I doubt that if someone who's done this three, four, five times, you know, is able to you know, would it would have picked up some tricks along the way? Well, maybe, maybe and, so, and but just, it could it could also be that he's never dealt with someone who's this unhinged too. I mean, I got you. Think, do you think there's got to be different though, levels of it that not every yeah. single one of them is going to be like, oh, okay, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll see you around. You think there's going to be some that are going to be a little bit more clingier? I mean, I'm not just saying this in a female base. I mean, males are like this as well. That there's different people with the, you know how they grasp on the stuff sure. so you think in a way that he, if it, this was like his sixth time doing it that he would have a little bit more confidence because right now it just shows that he doesn't know how to handle this that i think he's trying that's, to be nice yeah. he's trying to be a little bit stern and he just looks confused and i think what would have really helped is you know his his fat lawyer friend my god that mm-hmm. guy's huge yeah. um <laughs> who by the way in later life lost a ton of weight looks great now so good for him <laughs> but, but i think in a way i think it would have been nice to have a little bit of exposition here where maybe he kind of confides in him a little bit more and is talking about this and maybe like even have a few drop lines that you know maybe he's done this with it with his wife and I mean, he kind of makes jokes about it at a dinner table labor about his wife and you know some kids and uh Maybe just kind of asking him for advice, and maybe he even brings well, it. Well, he out, does. Like, That's yeah, the thing. I think it a little bit more though, where he like, yeah. says, you know, where the guy's like, you know, dude, I never expected this from you. You know what I mean? You, you've had this. You know, you, you've had women throw themselves at you before, and you actually did it this time. He's like, you know, something like that, where he maybe that would have been a little bit more yeah. advice, where he's just like, 
you're handling this wrong. You got to shut it off. You know, I, I've dealt with this before. You got to just, you got to be stern, maybe even be a little threatening with it, but you got to end it because you don't want to ruin what you have at home. I think he do, he does that. Though. Let's take a step back for a second here as the stalking increases or, or whatever. The Gallagher's get ready to, you know, they're buying the house. They're getting ready to move and all this stuff. And of course, Alex keeps calling him, bugging the stew out of him. And he has his phone changed and all this kind of mess going on. Well, the, the coup de gras of all of that is he agrees to meet with her at, you know, the train station the next, uh, I guess it's the next evening or whatever on the way home, the, the commute. And she tells him she's pregnant. And his reaction to that, and it's at the time in 1987, this was controversial. Is is he's like, well, it's okay, I'll I'll take care of it, I'll pay for the abortion. And she's like, what makes you think I want that? Like they had this whole conversation about it right there, and that was just something you didn't talk about in movies, you know, it, at, at at that this time in life, you just didn't do it, you know. I mean, this, was, this wasn't long after Reagan had actually said the word AIDS and you know the all, HIV and all that kind of stuff. So we we were coming around to accepting this in our Popular this is before if these walls could talk. Exactly. Yeah, this is way before, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about now. And I mean, that's on a television show. It's on a sitcom now, you know, necessarily. But this was a big deal. This is before it's, Judd Apatow was going, I think you should get a subortion. It's, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, this is before it became a joke. And it's and I I don't know. That scene, though, is so neat. The way that she, him and her go at each other. Like this, and and it's one of the first times when they really get to do that. There's one a little bit later too, and we'll we'll talk about that one uh, in the the apartment because it's it's fabulous. But she she is pretty adamant that like no, we're we're gonna have this kid together, and you can just leave your wife and just come with me. That's fine. Bring your daughter too. That's okay. I mean, he's he's like, are you out of your mind? You know, and, and I, I, you know, and I, goes to the I point think- of like she shows up at the apartment acting like she wants to buy it from him so she can get closer to him again because he's ignoring her and stuff i mean it's it's getting deep it is and i think at that moment where they're taking their walk i mean at first she shows up at his office and you know they kind of you know she invites him over to madam butterfly and he kind of you know tells her you know kind of tells her to go away and then when they then have this um talk where she's telling him that she's pregnant this is where i think just maybe probably being a male i go from not liking the guy to really like feeling bad for him because like I said, I'm taking this as like the first time he's done this and it's just going completely wrong for him in yeah. every way. I mean, this is like worst possible case scenario in every way. And it's like, you feel bad for him you know, so much because not only is, you know, ha- having an affair and whatever like that, it's, it's going to ruin his marriage. But with his kids being young, this is the stuff that's going through my mind. It's like, you know, if they end up getting a divorce, you know, they're so young that they're just going to think that, you know, what comes up later is just going to be normal for them after a while. But the fact that there could be a possible another child entering this and it's like everything's going to get destroyed. Everything right. that he has built up, his, you know, his life, his marriage is going to is going to end. I mean, and his career is probably end up going to go down about this as well, because, you know, if, if you, let's say you get a divorce, you'd have to imagine, okay, he's going to move on. He's probably still going to do this. But when you're getting like the psychotic woman, who's going to have a kid, it's like you, you, his whole life is going to be unraveling. And I think it's kind of hitting him at this point, like, Oh my God. So I start really kind of feeling for him at this point where I'm like, Oh shit. And I think his reaction is natural. I think in a way that I think it's, you know, oh, they don't want to talk about abortion and woman's right and everything like that. I think his reaction is very normal where it's like, 
we gotta we gotta stop this you know right he's he's still trying to wipe it all away and she is like i I don't know why you keep trying to erase this from your life i'm a part of your life and now part of you is growing inside me which is such a haunting way she delivers that and then later on after she shows her it's very horror like the way she says it it is and and the horror showdown scene happens not the big fight at the end. It's the one in the middle that, that I mean, this was Glenn Close's Oscar reel and how she lost to freaking share. I will never understand the scene where he goes after she's come over to the apartment and all that stuff and says to her, you got to stop this. You're sick. I don't know what your deal is, but you got to let this go or whatever. And she lays into him. It's like, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. I mean, that's, that's the, the line from this movie that got, you know, repeated and redone over and over again. And I love how she says it because her voice goes into this higher pitch and you can tell like she's on the verge of tears, but she's on the verge of screaming at him too. And it's, I will not be ignored. And that's exactly what he wants. And that is his nightmare come to life. It's when we're supposed to go from turning on Dan Gallagher to actually, like you've said, getting a little bit on his side, like, okay, he clearly did not sign up for any of this and he cannot, he has no grasp on what he's dealing with. And that's when he goes to his friend and they're having that talk in between the lot law library stacks there at the office. You can tell. And he, he tells him, it's like, you you do family law. And, and I wish they had had a little bit more of that because his friend obviously is like a divorce lawyer and has done this stuff. And he's like, what kind of case does this woman have on me? What, what can you know, I do? And he's like, well, she didn't have a real good one on you, but this ain't good. And he gives him that look like, I can't believe you did this. I think it's all done subtly. What you're wanting an exposition, I see it come out in the performance there. I think it's there is that, that we've established these two guys are, have been friends for a long time. Maybe they went to law school together and, and they've been at this firm together and they, they have a, a, you know, a shorthand between each other. And he, he went to him though. He was like, I don't need you to judge me right now. I need you to give me some legal advice because I don't know what to do with this crazy woman. And, <laughs> and, and that's exactly what's happening. Look, she steps the game up big time after this. She throws acid on his car. And I'm like, where does one obtain acid to go throw it on a car? That was the one part of this that I just never understood. I'm like, if she had cut all four of his tires or something, like that would have made more sense, I think, than acid on the car. I, that was weird. Uh, but yeah, the, it was, yeah, it's weird, and I and I want to I want to you know state this. I'm not on his side. I am yeah. not on his side the entire movie. I sympathize with him. I sympathize with the plight he's going through, but I'm not on his side. I mean, right. very much going back to like Frankenstein is you're never on Doctor Frankenstein's side. You understand that he made a mistake, and that now that mistake is following him around. And that, you know, the only way that he's going to get rid of this is he has to fully confront this mistake. But I'm not on his side. I'm on his wife's side. I'm on his kid's side. I, I, I'm feeling for them and I hope the best for them at this point. Because like I said, I've never seen this movie before where if she ends up, you know, they end up killing each other, I'd be totally fine with that. Because I'm like, you know, he's, and that's how kind of how I thought it was going to go. I thought it was going to be. That's how Shakespeare would have done it. Yeah. yeah, and I thought, like I said, I thought it was going to be a complete allegory for Frankenstein, where he would have to sacrifice himself to get rid of her and to save, you know, basically, you know, his family. Even though in Frankenstein, obviously, he doesn't save the woman he loves. But, anyways, um, yeah, I mean, it's just when when they're getting into this law thing and everything like that, you know, even though the guy's saying, you know, like it's not good, yeah, I'm thinking, like, no, dude, you're you're, you're totally fucked. 
be he, he really is. I mean, he, he really is screwed bad. And you get that not only from the acid in the car, the tape she leaves him, probably the next best performance by Glenn Close in this, is whatever recording booth they jammed her in to record this little audio tape that she leaves Dan for him to listen to in his rental car on the way back. While she is, by the way, following him to his country house so she can figure out where that is, he's listening to her go on this diatribe against him about you think you can do this. I mean, she does everything to him in this. She eviscerates him. I mean, she accuses him of being homosexual, She, which is clearly her just being angry and and outrageous and then she goes at him about like you and your perfect little freaking family and you just don't understand that you, you've got responsibilities here and you're, you're gonna have to do something about them and i'm not gonna just take it and the way she's doing it is she sounds like somebody who's been on like a coke binge or something for days and is coming off of it or something she's so unhinged at that point and he is like the way he's looking in the mirror and then driving and just rubbing his face i i sympathize with him too i'm not on his side but i'm like holy cow man i I would not know what to do if Psycho Lady laid all this on me either. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have any idea what to do. And you see what he tries to do. He goes home. He got the pet rabbit at that point for the daughter. And they play with the rabbit or whatever. The wife and kid go to bed. And he goes back upstairs to his little library now in his study. And he's listening to this tape again. And he gets so engrossed in it, he doesn't even hear his wife walking up behind him. You know, And he's, he's so still trying to compartmentalize all of this while he's trying to lead this other life and it just it's just bad i mean it's getting real bad and it only gets worse by that next thing and glenn close says she's taking more guff for this than anything else she ever did she didn't even really do it you know it's the they go away for the day come back and pet rabbit is of course not there and where is it it's boiling on the freaking stove i'm like now that, was, I, that was I, a I horror movie something like that was gonna happen especially <laughs> when the rabbit got brought up i'm like there's got to be a reason for this rabbit to be in here but check, check off the rabbit of, the kind of the kind of the old, you know like i do like your analogy though of being like on a you know someone who's on a coke binge and then she's all suddenly now coming off of it or you know even just like a major hangover her high so far has been this you know this hope this desire that his life now will become hers and that by you know it had a little ups and downs little ups and downs and i think now it's where she's crashing down and she's afraid of losing that high and she's completely losing her mind. And I really think that, you know, like that that, that, tape, that tape recording and now like the actions of what, you know, killing this rabbit is she's completely crazy. And she's yeah. just, she's trying to grasp onto any little thing. And all these like lunatic style behaviors that she's doing is just, in a way, she's, she doesn't know anything else. It's just like, well, she's just grasping at this point. I mean, it's someone who... You know, someone who's, you've ever seen someone just completely lose it and just some of the crazy stuff that they'll say and the crazy actions and everything. That's what exactly what she is right now. She's just, she's at her wit's end. And it's, I, I think in a way though, they're up, upping a lot of the stuff that she's doing for the audience to get more on Michael Douglas's side. Cause I think, you know, it's so easy to be kind of like how we are right now. Where we're like, we just sympathize with them. I think they want you to be more on his side. And I think that's why they start upping what she's doing because it's going from stalking phone calls, hanging up to acid and now killing an animal. And to me, it's just like, even like killing the rabbit is like, you know, girl, what's, what's your end game with this? Do you think that, you know, you're going to like, and I think maybe in a way she's trying to scare him into getting back with her. 
I think I think she is holding on. I don't think she's completely off the rails yet. That happens next. I think she's holding on to the last little bit of her sanity here, and I think that she's trying to scare him to death to to leave his wife to come back to her and all this kind of stuff, and then it'll all be happily ever after. I mean, she's completely irrational at this point. But what turns it on her finally is when he's staring out the door into the rain, and you know the the wife has put the daughter to bed, and he's like, "We got to have a talk." And I was like, that is never a good way to start a conversation with your wife, ever. Oh, and, but, 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 but it is fun to say that every once in a while, just to get them kind of crazy, like, hey, we need to really have a talk tonight. And, I, oh my God, I don't know who like, you're married to, I, but I would never say that to my wife. Oh, I do it all the time. <laughs> I, do that. I used to actually be like, hey, we can have a talk. What are you going to go to dinner tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you take them, take them to like the Jerry Maguire. So, uh, but anyway, um, you got to play little games like that. It's like throwing, it's like throwing cold water over the top I, of the shower. We, we all, we all have our ways of keeping the spark involved. I have mine, but I know, I know some buttons you don't push. But anyway, um, what he does here is he confesses to Beth. He just tells her everything. He just tells her, you know, and it comes out because she, she guesses some of it, but he, admits to it it's like yeah i didn't fair with her yeah i did that you know he never admits that she's pregnant i don't uh, that never comes out and and we'll talk about that in a little bit but he admits to her everything and i love how he picks up the phone and calls alex and says the thing you've been holding over me all this time I and mean, that's the one thing she's always had is like i'll tell your wife i will tell your wife which is his biggest fear it's like my wife you tell my wife i'll kill you you know all this stuff and he's finally like it's all over i told her she knows everything you know he's like hey, it's done you know, and, and, you know, this, and is, this is so yeah. remarkable. If you ever watch The Sopranos, yeah. it's The Sopranos did this plot a couple of times. <laughs> it's just like the crazy stalker. I'm going to tell your wife. And well, it's a great Carmella plot, though. I mean, out. think about it. It, it. It's a great way to, to keep tension up is when you're trying to keep something for someone and then they finally know. Well, think of all the tension that was on Breaking Bad between Walter and Skylar for all the years she didn't know what he was doing and he finally just told her you know and it was, well, it is, it it's, was it's, it's a very good way to add tension to any story yeah it's having you know two, uh, two partners and just one of them having a secret and the whole like when is when are they going to find out because you know they're going to find out eventually and you right. knew the scene was coming is like she had to find out and i actually think she took it a lot oh, better I, than i, I thought i'll tell you now this is when i realized that the movie wants you to be on beth's side completely and this is where they set beth up as this strong woman who while she's a family woman she's not a career woman like alex she's a you know a stay-at-home mom and all this kind of stuff but she's not dumb and she's smart and she's she can go toe-to-toe with her husband too and i love the resolve in ann archer's face when dan says well, won't you just talk to her and just hands the phone to her and she just stands up like she ca- she gathers herself you know, rubs her hands in her pants, gathers herself, stands up straight, walks over there, and just calmly picks up the phone and says, if you ever come near me or my family again, I'll kill you, and hangs the phone up. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, what a what a resolved woman at that point. And, and I, I have, love I, that it, line. It's, it's resolved. It's strong. But I also think in a way it's someone who's that fight or flight response because I think she she's now, you know, putting two, two together that that rabbit was mm-hmm. probably her. And I think, I think she way, knows. Was, yeah. Yeah. I think, she I think knows. And yeah. I'm just saying that it's, you know, if you, if you ever got into, you know, altercation or sometimes and some, you know what I mean? Where it's like, well, suddenly you get your adrenaline going and you're just like become like this like badass in a way and just like, you know, come at me, come at me in a way. And then look, maybe like a few days later, you're like, 
Mm, maybe it wasn't the best idea because this person probably could come and do something. And that's the thing, though. I think that's exactly what flips Alex's switch is now she no longer has any leverage on Dan at all. And this other woman has threatened her. So this whole becomes primal in a way. It's like if Frankenstein had had another monster at home or something. Well, I guess it is Frankenstein's girlfriend, right? It's, it's, it's his. Right of Frankenstein. No, no, no. It's, it, it's, it's Dr. Frankenstein's Victor's fiance. I can't remember the character's name. Yeah. Right she now. got her heart cut out. Right. Yeah. Cause the monster kills, you know, so yeah, it kills. Him. So, but that, but that, but that's yeah. what I'm thinking up into this point. I mean, I keep up right. Frankenstein and stuff like that as I'm like, she's going to kill her. She's going to kill her. Well, I mean, and this I, is I expected an that too. Like, tragedy. I think that's what that, that's what they thought of. But I love how that that's not what happens at all. What Alex does instead is she goes picks up the daughter from school, Ellen, the little girl, uh, picks her up from school and like takes her out for a fun day or whatever. Oh, I'm taking care of you while mommy and daddy are busy doing something or whatever. And of course, Beth is like losing her mind. You got a kid. I mean, you ever show up and your kid's not at school? I cannot imagine the you know craziness that would ensue. I remember my oh, parents it's, telling it's, me about my brother not getting off the bus at the right stop once when he was a little kid and he was just riding the bus all over you know Tennessee somewhere or whatever and they were like looking everywhere for him and I can only imagine how frantic you get oh it's it's happened to me once and real real short story is we were at the local state fair and we had like our whole family there you know like brother-in-law sister was there her boyfriend was there and um my brother-in-law's sister's boyfriend was playing with Chase really good guy with Chase and he, we were kind of walking around these like kiosks, kind of like flea fair or flea market type thing there. And I thought that he had him still. But then when I saw the rest of them, Chase was not there. And it's it's just how it happens to you where it's like in a split second, you go into that, you know, flight or flight response because your adrenaline goes. And you're obviously in that fight stage because I remember running around this flea market and uh, I'm a pretty big guy and I'm just running into people looking for him, just like smashing shoulders into people. Luckily, he was only like, you know, maybe about 50 feet away from us. But yeah, when that stuff happens, I mean, it's just your heart sinks and you actually, it's almost like an out of body experience. So seeing like, you know, knowing that that's something that's happening to her. And it's like, it's very relatable. And it's, I couldn't imagine though being in that situation because that's a step above because you know that there's someone out there who is crazy that wants to do stuff to your family. And you're realizing at this point that this person probably has your child. See, I don't even know that she knows that though. I think at this point, I think, I think, I think she has an idea. I think she has kind of an idea because really what else could it be at this point? I mean, that's a good point. Crazy other person. It's possibility there, but you got to go with what's, you know, you're, you're going through your mind. You, she's got to be thinking like, did this woman come and get her or, you know, come and get him? Did, did you know, what's, you know, that, 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 that's, that's got to be going through her mind. And yeah, I mean, to me, that's got to be probably out of her. That's probably the most scariest thing that even later in the movie with the knife, this right here is probably the scariest moment that could happen to a parent or to I mean, a person. Th- th- think about it. I mean, she, she has a wreck or whatever she wants to be in the hospital. And I love how, when Dan rolls into the hospital, I mean, he's running down the hall or whatever. His daughter meets him. And I love the like uber cold reception he gets from his in-laws. So now he knows they know too, you know? Yeah. The, the look, the look that the her look. father gives him. Oh, it's no. Like, she told him everything. Yeah. Like they know now. And it's like, I mean, he just doesn't even know what to say. He's like, Ron, you know, or whatever I mean, or Howard, you know, just didn't even know what to say. And what and can he say? And that's the thing, say? too, is now this whole affair now 
has affected every part of his family because you know right. i mean you having in-laws if that ever happened with you guys probably your in-laws would never look at you or talk to you in the same way that they did before oh no and how could they i mean it's a complete broken trust right that's the idea and it's just it it totally breaks all that down. And this is fresh still. Remember, he tells Beth this the next day this happens. So, I mean, this is all like just happening in you know a span of a few days here. And he finally all gets he her had home. to do was go back to the hotel room and just rent the freaking skin flick. That's all he had to do. <laughs> he could have just gone home and played with the dog. <laughs> but you know what? If he hadn't if he hadn't had a faulty umbrella none of this happens but anyway because it was the bad umbrella standing in the rain for a well, cat just, that stuff like there. that though had to be going through his mind at this point <laughs> he's like, got to be going like oh if i God. had just said no if i had just not gone to dinner with her if i had just lied and said no i'm a terrible lawyer i'm not discreet if i had just realized you're kind of scary and i'm not going to do this right now i i don't know but you know you do that you, you make a mistake and then you go back and try to figure out the one little point or whatever and the truth of the matter is though is that he had left that door open in his mind and in his life for so long that and like i say i don't think he's ever done this but i think he's thought about it a lot and enough that he he had left it open too long and when you do that it sneaks in and when it finally you you go for it it's it's terrible it's the wrong time the door closes on your hand you're whatever and now he you know he can't explain any more of this and at this point all he's worried about is just trying to get his wife home I mean, she's got like a broken arm and you know her face is cut up a little bit but she's okay you know so he gets her home and he's you know, trying to be nice with her and stuff like that. But before she leaves the hospital, we get the big, like, horror movie showdown. He blows into Alex's apartment. And the I will, I will give Michael Douglas and Glenn Close an enormous amount of credit for being able to physically go at each other in what is one of the most realistic fights I've ever seen between people. I mean, so, so, so much of these things seem so choreographed and they're stunt driven and stuff. This is like messy and nasty and stuff gets broken and thrown everywhere and she claws him. And I mean, they have a good minute and a half where I totally believe he's about to choke her to death on the, on the ground there. I mean, it is, it is violent. Totally. And I mean, and again, the Sopranos did this a few times. In they ripped such it off. Similar- <laughs> they, I, I'm not going to say they ripped it off. I think they was just, you know, they they saw something that was a good scene and something that was probably relatable to what that show was doing. And it was like, yeah, we're going to homage this in a way. And yeah, the fights, <laughs> I'm watching it though. And I'm like, dude, she's got to weigh like 110 pounds, dude. Come on. But then I realize I'm like, he probably weighs 150. So. Yeah, but, but the other thing <laughs> is she's also crazy. Like she's completely unhinged. And I, I think that's good though. You make but a good point. But he's unhinged at this point too. I mean, yeah. you can see it. He's got the crazy eyes going on. He's got, a, he's got a big advantage over her, but she holds her weight with him. And I think that's what makes this interesting is how do you stage a fight between a man and a woman where the man clearly has a size advantage on her well, and make it believable? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's but, a lot of it has to do with the fact, like I said, it's it's a cluttered apartment. There's so many right. obstacles in the way, and you know, she's the <laughs> she knows the area, and he's a little bit more bigger and lumbering. That's well, okay. You make you make a, you make an observation there, and I was wondering if you caught it. Remember when we talked about that par- apartment at the beginning? It was very stark. It was institutional. You made a great call with that, by the way. Notice how it's not that way anymore now. That it's like it's cluttered. It's messy. It's it's messed up. There's stuff in the way. It's because she's totally unhinged. She's not 
keeping that regimen that sort of kept her together, you know, anymore because she's, you know, out of her mind at this point and over the moon about this guy. And I think, well, her, I think that her plays priorities out have changed at this point. Oh, completely. Her priorities are killing rabbits and stealing children. I mean, you know, good grief. She's, she's a witch at this it's point. It's every good Saturday at regiment. I t- tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but they go, they go at each other and, he just stops. And then they set up a great thing here. He picks up this knife and uh, she comes at him with a knife, actually. Like this, this, you think it's over. And then all of a sudden she comes at him with a knife and he stops her and lays it down on the counter and she eyes it and looks at him and she gets this weird look in her eye. And I'm like, what's, what's going to happen now? They're setting something up, right? And what they set up is what is now known as the ending of this. Um, film where she shows up at the house and you talk about it like a great horror movie in scene is her in the bathroom sort of cutting herself on the leg while she's talking to Ann Archer and just going off on her like you stupid selfish bitch I'm gonna kill you I'm like man this woman is completely nuts at this point like she's gone and that is so freaky and so scary it's one of the most scary things in the film yeah and even I I you know, back to the apartment attack between those two is I actually thought he was going to kill her at that point is I really thought that it was going to be, I thought this was the climax of the movie. I thought that he was going to kill her and it was either going to go one of two ways. It was either going to be him trying to get, you know, his, his fat lawyer friend to try to help him clean this up, cover this up somehow, or it was going to be that he ends up going to prison for murder and the whole thing, you know what I mean? And that's, that's the, two ways it was going i didn't think he was going to let her live at that point Mm -hmm. especially when he had his hands around her throat it looked like you know he was going to he's going to do it until her eyes go bloodshot and they roll into the back of her head and yeah it's just i also want to bring up too is you know one of the other little subplots during this movie is him going to the police and that he's complained to the police saying he wanted to get a restraining order and the cops, you know, he didn't tell him about the affair, but the cop kind of figured out that, you know, yeah, you're having an affair with this woman and you need to just fess up to this. And, but after that kid gets kidnapped, how freaking pathetic these police officers are. I mean, they know that this woman had taken this child at this point and known that he had made a complaint against her in the past. And they just, oh, yeah, we're going to go send someone over there. I mean, it just seemed like they were just kind of like, eh, you know, just kind of sitting on yeah. their hands. And then when it gets to the point where this woman shows up at their house and does this, I'm thinking, I'm like, this guy's a fucking lawyer. I'm like, this the, he's going to sue the shit out of that police department <laughs> for just not doing what their job's supposed to do. <laughs> but... Like I say, they're not going to have the sequel to this where he's suing them. But that's a thought that's going through my mind, especially when she's up there. I'm like, the freaking cops, man. I'm like, God, they're never anywhere when you need them. I mean, it's just crazy. But yeah, when she's up there, though, in the bathroom, when, um, you know, she's getting ready to take a bath, he brings her home and everything. And like, he's downstairs and he's making her some tea. And all of a sudden, she wipes off, she's about to get in the bathtub and she wipes off the steam off the window and, you know, Candyman's behind her at this point. Yeah, the, yeah, but I did have a Candyman moment there. I'm like, oh, that's where that came from. Maybe it probably not. But we need to talk about something here, though. Do you know there's an alternate ending to this, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you want to go get into what happened? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into that before we before they do that, because it, it leads into what you're talking about is the natural mm-hmm. way this would go. The alternate ending is that Alex commits suicide with that knife, and it looks like Dan has killed her. 
at that point. And the only way he gets off is that you see Beth finding the tape and on the tape, she basically says, I'm going to kill myself and frame you for it. You know, not in so many words, but pretty much says that she runs out of the house and that's going to get him free. But you know, Glenn Close argued. She kill herself. Did she kill herself? She killed herself in in her apartment, in her apartment. Like after he left there, you know, there's that scene where she's looking at that knife and she gets that evil grin on her face. That's supposed to set up what she does in the bathroom. We'll talk about in a second, but what it really was setting up was the, they shot that months later. Like three or four months after they had shot the movie, what happens is she turns on Madame Butterfly, leaves the door open in her apartment, and goes to the bathroom and holding that knife where you know her prints won't get on it, but his will. She slits her own throat and then drops to the bathroom floor dead. And they find her, and of course they find you know his prints all over everything, and they figure out well he you know he killed her, and they come and arrest him at his house the next day and his wife finds the tape and that's how he gets free test audiences hated it so they the studio said you got to go back and redo the ending and you what you've got to do and the audience said is you, the wife has got to have some role in this you got to let his wife win somehow so that's well, how the they wife, come up the, and the wife is like i said she's the one that everybody's on the side of i can say she's right. the hero of the story but she's the one that everybody's with and I right. think that she, yeah, she is a good call. I mean, everybody yeah. complains, you know, a lot of times about producers or studios putting their hands in projects and not letting the director's full vision come to. But these people aren't dumb. I mean, they no. understand what works with movies and the way a three act structure should be. And yeah. sometimes, you know, sometimes you got to take a step out of the woods. To be, I mean, step out of the trees to be able to see the, you know, the forest. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, think it, it was a good call. It was a good yeah, call. Yeah, close argued. that ending. Yeah, Glenn Close. I would have thought. You can watch it on YouTube if you want. I watched it actually after we watched it with my wife, and she's like, that was stupid. That other ending is way better. And the thing is, is that Glenn Close is right about this. And she argued this is that Alex committing suicide is the logical, actual progression of where this person would go. That would be her next step is that now that she has nothing left, you know, in this, she would just kill herself and then that would be it. The fact that she frames him for the murder and it doesn't work is mm, whatever. But that's almost like how you end a book, you know? That's not how you end a, a movie, and we needed something satisfying at the end of this movie because so much of this movie is very not satisfying. I mean, it, not that it's not good; it's just that it's so hard to grapple well, what, with and what, it's what, what, unsettling. What did though is when they told them to rewrite the ending. I really think they probably gave him the book Red Dragon. <laughs> Have you ever seen? You ever seen the yeah. that, that you know seen the movie or read the book? Is it's kind of how the that all ends is that he ends up. Um, the uh, main, the tooth fairy character, and that ends up showing up at the um, detective's house at the end, and yeah. it's very, very similar to that. I mean, almost down to a T as far as what they do, but but it makes sense. I I wouldn't buy her killing herself because I just think that you know so far she's been so proactive in all her actions that I don't think that she would do something that would defeat herself in a way because well, doing that would just be the last like. It just, to me, I wouldn't buy it with her. I'd figured that, you know, she's going to go out, she's going to want to take him out, or she's going to want to take the wife out, or she's going to do something completely desperate like that. I just, with like killing the rabbit and, you know, acid on the car and showing up there, and especially after the fight, I think that, you know, it's going to be, she's going to want to end up, you know, doing something drastic in the end, almost in a crazy way too. And I, I love the way too, she's in the bathroom with that knife too. And she's just kind of like, going back and forth with it and like she's cutting into her leg because at that point you know she's not feeling anything she's just numb and i think that's just a great way of expressing that that she's just completely gone she's not a person at this point she's just a shell 
Yeah, she is. And I, I disagree slightly. I think self-destruction is the arc of, of the Alex character. The fact that when she goes off, she takes other people with her is also makes sense. And especially like from a Hollywood point of view. And I think that's what Glenn Close ultimately resolved herself to was like, well, but in movie world, this woman would self-destruct and she would take out other people with her. And who's she going to take out? She's going to take out her competition. Because at yeah. this point, she's never seen Beth as anything but just the other woman until she picked up the phone and told her, if you come near my family again, I'll kill it, kill you. And she's like, okay, really? Well, we'll see about that. So she goes near her family, and then she nearly gets killed. And then the fact that she's alive and dancing with her, he's like, oh, no, no we're, this won't do. I've just got to go kill you straight, and then I'll just take him back with me. She's totally off of her rocker at this point, right? Yeah, and, and the thing I, is, you, you, see, you yeah. see some of the stuff in the news, too, I mean, where there'll be someone who attacks another person or something just out of, like you know, something very similar to this thing. There was a story in the news that was about 10 years ago where I think some woman got like acid thrown in her face based on an affair. It's just, you know, you, you do see that a lot where it's like, it's not always going to be someone who's just going to completely self-destruct. In a I way mean, pe people attack each themselves. other at political rallies now. I mean, shoot, it doesn't take anything. People go off on you in the McDonald's, you know, food line now. So, I mean, it's, I, it's yeah. crazy. But, so. but, I, but I think, I think her yeah. self-destruction though is like, She's going to self-destruct, where she's going to take out as many as she can with herself. Oh, yeah, completely. And that's the idea. And I love how it's all set up the tension there of the, the bath is running. And while she's you know going off on Beth here and, you know, Dan has no idea what's going on because he's got tea on to boil. So he can't hear anything upstairs. And as soon as, you know, they attack each other, as soon as he pulls that teapot off, he hears the struggle and runs up there to intervene. And they what a have crappy, that house needs some work, man. If that water just <laughs> goes on the floor like that and it's going right through the ceiling, there's like, some wow. serious issues with that house. I, the first thing he's got to do is go, man, we got totally screwed in our real real estate deal. But <laughs> beyond that, I think Who he's got other the house problems. inspector that looked at this? <laughs> it must be. So yeah, that's when you can tell you transitioned into adulthood, by the way, when you watch movies like this and you're first thought is not oh go save your wife is like holy cow who did your insulation you know the, you know, the, you know, the <laughs> two things going through my mind at that was that and then i'm looking at the bathtub and i saw like the uh the water the uh the fixture that they had on there i'm like that's a nice fixture i'm like but those are expensive those are like easily a thousand dollars for those old school like faucets like that for a bathtub that, that i think that i think that was actually original like in that house in the 80s that didn't that, it probably I think was that it's come very with very it. like yeah. you know, old-time chic and, I, and i've looked at that for my, my bathtub and i'm like I'm not spending that much money on one of those, but I'm like, man, they look nice. Yeah, they look nice, but especially now after seeing this, you're just like, no, I don't, I don't want to be reminded. What of happened that. in the '80s when they just did all these like cheap fixtures in the houses and everything like that? I mean, it was get some personality. Get those everything. Nice everything fixtures. looked good. Everything looked good, but underneath it was really hollow. It was the '80s. So anyway, he interviewed. It was it. It, it, it mirrors our economy, Jay. <laughs> it kind of does. But they're having this whole fight, and I love the the thing. He gets her in the tub, and this time he's going to finish it. He drowns her. You know, we think, right? I mean, he's got her dead to rights, and I mean, she's cut him on the chest. It's a pretty violent fight, but he kills her. You think, she's terrible right? with a knife, though, man. Where does she learn how to swing that thing? Like, she's using it almost like a like a like a hammer or like a baseball bat. She's she's not doing that stabbing motion like someone like uh, Jason would. <laughs> she's a crazy person, and she's not crazy in like the Jason kind of way. She's like, and I, and I actually, and I thought she uh, so. killed the wife 
the way that they were kind of showing it, that. it does she it does stab make you think I thought she got stabbed a half dozen times but i guess she really didn't get she she does time. she stabs her in that cast that's the thing is that beth's oh. cast gets stabbed a lot you watch it you see that but you think that she's dead that's why you don't see her in the frame and you wonder where's the wife when he's sitting up out of the tub and catching his breath and that's when what you don't realize is she's gone to go get the gun that they set up five minutes earlier in the drawer and Glenn Close rises from the watery That's the biggest grave. Chekhov gun moment I think I've ever seen. It may have been. He's talking on the phone, and he yeah. just happens to open up the drawer to look at the gun. It's like, dude, you knew that was in there. <laughs> but I guess they needed right. it for the audience, though. Well, they need, yeah, they had to set something up for the audience. For how do you introduce something like that? We've never seen these. Well, yeah, you before, introduce so. it by the fact that maybe he buys a gun sometime in the movie because of how crazy she's being, or something like that. But I, I yeah, like I said, I'm just I'm being well again extremely they, nitpicky. They, they would have never done that because again, the ending was this was shot many months later. So they're like, well, we gotta we gotta show a gun in the drawer. So maybe he's gotten one since all this has happened. Whatever. The point being is. She rises from the grave or the watery grave and is coming after him and gets shot. And that really happened. I I don't know. I mean, I, my wife laid it out. She said, I think she's faking. I think she fakes that she's drowning so he'll let her go so she can come back. Because she's done this before. I mean, we've seen her, like, attack him out of nowhere before. They've already set that up. And I was like, you know, she's maybe she is completely off her, you know, rails at this point but maybe she's got just enough to go you know what i'm just gonna lay still just lay still for a second and then he'll never know and then i'll I'll take him out too because he deserves to die too and then she gets shot and she dies and it's a violent thing and my wife actually brought up something she's like so who's to blame for the dead kid that she's you know not having now i was like holy cow i've never thought about that before but that is kind of messed up that in one shot all of dan gallagher's problems go away well, his wife solved all his problems with one pull of the trigger. But I was like thinking like real cynical here. I'm like, oh my God, what if the kid's bedroom was on the other side and that bullet hit him? I was thinking oh, something like that. Yeah. I was like, the, oh, the what girl. if they're going to totally Yeah, yeah that was the like other thing that, that my wife was like, how here? is the daughter not running down the hall? I'm like, because she probably wasn't there when they shot it. So they just had to go with it. But yeah, that she's conspicuously absent from the end of this movie but uh yeah that, yeah again, but that, that's that, that's the thing though i mean i was gonna bring this up with the whole pregnancy thing was that really ever validated that she yes pregnant? yes it was and here here's the one when he's talking to his lawyer friend he says i call the the doctor and the guy says congratulations i can't imagine what she told him you know so yeah she really was pregnant so that is an unresolved uh, bit here is that beth not only kills the mistress, but she kills the mistake with the mistress, if you want to say no, that. Would, would you have liked it better if they would have said that it was, you know, that they said that it was fake, that she was just saying that? I, yeah, I think it would have been I, it. Well, in some ways, it, it makes you more sympathetic for Dan than that he was really just being played the whole time. Uh, by this or whatever. But it also removes part of the motivation for the Alex character. I do think she that no, that's part of what sends her down the it, road. I don't think anything either had to do with her wanting this guy to be the father. I think it was all self-desire for herself. And I think that the pregnancy thing, whether, you know, no saying it's true, even if it was fake, I think that was all just kind of another 
area that she could use against him or another way that she could try to draw him in, you know, whether, you know, that's like in the pregnancy and, or killing the rabbit or whatever it is. I think they were all tools that she was using to try to obtain what she wanted. I don't think she cared at all about having a kid. I don't think the whole thing about her being 36 or whatever and coming up, you know, you know, her childbearing years are almost over. I don't think that really had anything to do with her motivation with them at all. I think it was just a pawn in her game. It may, it may have been, and I think you're you're probably right. I think also it's part of the tragedy of this ending is that this you know the consequences of this mistake for him are far reaching, and who's to say that they make it? I mean, Beth winds up you know in his arms at the end, and they go back inside, but who's to say in the aftermath of all of this that she just doesn't go, um, hey, yeah, I can't do this anymore. You know, I mean, who who knows? I mean, either way, his life as he knew it is completely destroyed, and it's destroyed because of a selfish mistake he made. And it's see, I think in a way, maybe they will make it, and I think Glenn Close's character accomplished that with her actions in the end. I think if it would have been something where Glenn Close killed herself, and then you know she happened to get him out of jail or something, I don't think they would have made it if it would have been that. I would have think that this would have been something that would eat at them, and they just they couldn't be together anymore. I think the fact that it was such a tragedy thing at the end, and like a you know this big fight that I think in a way by him you know killing this woman you know to protect her, I think in a way that it's going to be something that maybe in a way that that's something that brings them together. Or, or you know, could, kind could of be. And I think we're meant to, but but I could see it going both ways. Where she's like, yeah, you know, I, I could just see the arguments in the future. You know, like where, where they're deciding what movie they want to go see and go. Yeah, the last time you made a decision, it tried to come in the bathroom and kill me. So we're going to go see. You know, Shakespeare <laughs> yeah, and the way you handled that was to murder it with a gun. So yeah, I can see that going down now. So, but yeah, you should way, turn and go. Yeah, you'll, you, yeah, you see my resolve. <laughs> I I think the uh, yeah I would never argue with that woman again. Uh, the, the, I think we're meant to I'd believe get, that I'd, they I'd, do. I'd get rid of that gun. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you now. I think your again. your version is what we're meant to believe because of the way that it closes in on that picture of the three of them: the the mother, the, or you know, the wife, the daughter, and the the husband there at the end. The happy family is that through all of this they are together, and then that's you know the end of it. But I mean, it's a it's a powerful statement. You can look at it a lot of different ways. I think we're at the yeah, point it's, of the it's, podcast. it's open ended. I think you're supposed to just take your. However you feel about relationships and marriages and stuff and kind of, you know, figure it out your way and stuff if they're going to be together. But that's not the point of the movie, though, is, you know, if they're going to live happily ever after. The whole point of the movie is that a one-time mistake can be a lifetime mistake. And Exactly. Yeah, I I was kind of thinking, I'm like, maybe they could do a sequel to this where maybe, like, she's on life support and the baby matures and the baby grows up and then ends up coming after her father. (laughs) That's like the fly, too, almost. Let's let's not go there. So thankfully, they didn't do that. So um, we're at the part where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Fatal Attraction? I'm going to go with a large popcorn. I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, kind of watching bits and pieces of it over the last couple of weeks. And actually this morning, I did actually sit down and watch the entire thing from front to back. And I really enjoyed it. I'm actually kind of disappointed I've taken this long to see this movie. I think it's a very, um, I would say it's an important movie as far as the media and shows and movies that have come after it because they've borrowed so much from this and i'm sure someone will correct me if i'm wrong maybe this movie borrowed a lot from other stuff but to me it's just like there's been so many references and homages and just rip-offs of this movies throughout the last you know last oh god we're almost going on 30 years wow um <laughs> that uh 
yeah, it's 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 a strong movie and one that I really think the performances are good. As much as I want to rip on Meryl Streep looking like a witch, um, I'm glad not, they cast not, her in this. Not Meryl, because, not Meryl Streep. Well, not Meryl Streep, Glenn Close. I'm sorry, I get those two confused all the time because <laughs> uh, they're always not. It's it's always one of them is nominated for an Oscar. So, um, yeah, Glenn Close. Um, I think she pulled off the psychotic, crazy ex-lover bit just perfectly where you completely buy all the lunacy that she does later in the movie. So, and Michael Douglas does a good job and Archer does a very good job. So yeah, it, it's a large popcorn. It's a very, very strong recommend. Uh, one that if, you know, if it's on TV in the future, you know, if it's on Lifetime or, you know, HBO late at night or something. I'll probably just put it on just to watch it again. It's it's a movie I really enjoyed. So thank you, Jay, for recommending this one. I'll say I join you in this is a large popcorn, by the way. I think this is a very good film, and there are a lot of different ways to tell this story. I don't know that one has done a better job of telling it than this one throughout the years. It's been parodied, ripped off, used so many different times, but there's nothing like the, the first one, I, I don't think. This movie is fantastic, and does a really good job of selling itself uh, in all ways. I do think it's a must-watch, particularly if you haven't seen it. If you're like Nick and you've missed it, and maybe you've just seen pieces of it or whatever, it's one to revisit. It's not one you can watch often. I think it's tough to watch. It's a hard film to swallow, and it leaves you with a lot to talk about. But it's something worth watching and talking about. I think there's a lot of different places it could go. And, you know, in the world of recycled Hollywood, I'm kind of surprised this hasn't been, you know, spun around again and maybe it has and it's just been called different things i don't know i i, I did see somebody told told me once that the the uh, movie swim fan was fatal attraction with teenagers and i'm not really sure that that's accurate because i've seen that film but well, it we can also is. do a uh, fatal so. instinct directed by carl reiner <laughs> yeah well uh, let's let's not get into that so um, but uh yeah there, i mean it's been redone and retold maybe before but maybe i don't know if you can ever go back to the original and redo it but i could see this being you know one of uh, another show that Netflix wants to do or, you know, limited episodes, something like that. You can make a lot out of this, but for a two hour movie, it's very satisfying. So large popcorn for me as well. And that will wrap up our review of fatal attraction. Of course, you can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, subscribe to Filmstrip on iTunes and drop us a line. Let us know what you think and uh, leave us a review for the show. We appreciate your support until next time for Nick. I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. <laughs>